going on, man? Another week, back at it, another pod. Uh, indeed. Good to see you again. Yeah. Likewise. Um, I don't know. Not much. Numbers up a little from last week. No complaints. It is indeed. We were just talking pre-show. You get that Bart Simpson sometimes. Little hogs back where it goes up. Trades in a range and goes right back down. We haven't. Bitcoin hasn't graduated from that yet. Not sure if no, it, no. not sure if it ever will. But but that was like the theme. I don't know. A couple of years ago, remember? Uh, I think it was in the like eighteen nineteen bear market. On the way down, it was just like Bart Simpson every other week. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, always chalk it up to volatility, but um, you know. Bitcoin's still getting less and less volatile every year, so it doesn't bother me too much anymore, but I know it bothers many. Uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to start with another chart here. I've been doing a couple pods and you know, daily on this as well. I apologize, dear listener and viewer, if you've seen this, but uh, I think it's quite interesting. And, uh, you know, all, with all of the crazy happenings in Argentina with their new president and uh, as he was just recently sworn in uh, major slashing of the budget and just trying to cut down on all the economic havoc and corruption they've had there uh, looking at the black market rate for the peso versus the official rate is kind of interesting and as of just a couple days ago they have devalued the peso again so just zoom in here uh, last couple of years, you can see steady devaluation of the currency where, you know, five years ago it was 20, 30, 40 pesos per dollar and a big debt devaluation over the summer of this year. And then you can just see it <laughs> spike. This is as of two days ago. Uh, yeah. Millet officially devalued the peso more than 50% to 800 pesos per dollar. And yet we can uh, compare that to the black market rate or the parallel rate add that on the screen here, it still hasn't caught it. So if you just look here throughout the last few years, it was generally two to one. Look at the official right here, for example, in 2021, 100 pesos per dollar. That's the central bank rate. That's like where banks are gonna have to basically deal with, uh, you know, account holders at 100 pesos to one, but on the street, the black market, this is from blue dollar website was double 201 and that accelerated here over the summer and then it's been bouncing around since he has been elected uh but even with his official devaluation it's now 20 20 30 percent it's not not as bad as it was 50 percent or double depending on which way you look at it but 20 20 30 percent uh devalued still but here's the very interesting thing uh, that I think people should be aware is even if you were like halfway across the world, if, if you were Argentinian and you didn't sort of know what to do online or you, you weren't trading with cash uh, on the ground, you couldn't hear what was going on, you could actually find another way to back into the black market rate. And that's if you take uh, the price per Bitcoin on Binance in Argentinian pesos, which at the moment is something like 43 million pesos for Bitcoin. Divide that by the, doesn't matter which, you could use Binance as well, but basically the global rate in dollars, which everybody knows, so 40 some 
okay, dollars, these are dimensional, dimensional analysis from high school, cross out the BTC, and you would get a pesos per dollar black market rate. So I haven't, I've been looking into this with some currencies. It's pretty interesting if you, if you put in uh, that number, it'll show up here in orange, and it pretty much matches black market rate. So I'll zoom in, but it's really interesting. It's not much data from Binance so far, it's really from June, but you see it's stayed right with the black market rate, you know, that was published down, down in Argentina, actually it was a little bit higher here, uh, but generally hugging it exactly. And that's purely using a global asset on a global marketplace like Binance. Uh, you actually can hone in on the black market rate. You don't have to, you know, go to websites or go to the street or whatever. You could just use Bitcoin to see the black market price of the peso. It's pretty interesting. So was I supposed to learn what dimensional analysis is? In <laughs> you don't remember that one? For some reason, I remember it. It's, uh, you know, when you have like a numerator and a denominator and you have a bunch of a set of them, you could line them all up, cross out, get to the lowest common denominator. You can cross out, for example, the ones that overlap. So if it's pesos per BTC and then uh, dollars per BTC, you you'd switch those because we, we would want to divide. Basically, you cross out the BTC signs and you just divide pesos per BTC divided by dollars for BTC, cross out the BTC signs and you will get dollars per peso or pe excuse me, I do pesos, pesos per dollar, pesos per dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, blue dollar is that I haven't heard of that. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, there's lots of sites like that, but it's, they just publish black market rates of the peso. Oh, yeah. Right, based on what? The street. I mean, word of mouth, what people are doing. Oh, uh, it's so a huge like, cash economy there. I mean, that, you know, people will buy real estate with cash. I've never been. I would like to go. Uh, Same. Everybody I've met there has been very kind and great people, but they're definitely going through it right now. I mean, this is the most uh, the most chicanery you can have in your economy is when you start to get into a hyperinflationary process. So they're going through it. They're trying to officially devalue to it, but um, you know, we'll see. So what's the what's the economic policy reason behind? uh the devaluation just to get to reality to show that the government oh. recognizes it understands it and then on the fiscal side you have to do something you have to cut you know you have to devalue the uh oops you have to devalue the the costs to government so you, you'll have to cut back all of the the fiscal side but that as uh as uh, fernando told me i was talking to him recently he's like yeah that's always the easy part because he cut like half the ministries already within his first day with an executive order. But the hard part will be the monetary part. And not sure if they'll walk that back or not. Uh, you know, he said he was going to, yeah. he said he wanted to fully dollarize and close the central bank of Argentina. So that's a big promise. And there's a lot of, that's a date, you know, it can be a dangerous promise. There's a lot of uh, political capital wrapped up in the central bank of any country. So it's, it's, a, but it's kind of interesting. It's interesting that he's actually trying. And, um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily the role Bitcoin will play other than showing nice transparent uh, graphs like this on what the actual valuation of the peso should be uh, just purely based on the Bitcoin price of the peso and the dollar. Um, but even if they do stable coins or something else, that would be interesting.
it would just be very interesting to see a government just real that kind of realize that they <laughs> can't do anything more. We've screwed up the economy enough and uh, try to get back to sound principles. So, what do you think of him? I am, you know, cautiously optimistic. I think he's super principled. He's super smart. Uh, he knows all the theory. I mean, you know me. I like to. I used to read a lot of that anarcho-capitalist stuff, and I was talking to some other friends of that ilk down down in in brazil uh over the last couple of weeks and since he's been sworn in and i mean it, it probably is the first time in the history of the planet that there is an actual anarcho-capitalist like someone that just purely believes in the market that has become the head of the state and i actually said this on uh marty Benz pod but one of the famous anarcho-capitalists his name is Brian rothbard i mean he kind of even coined the term he would always write these are not always but he had articles that would say he really doubted uh, that you could reform the system from within. So he's like, we kind of wanted this Superman, you know, this, you know, it's like dressed in the business suit by day, but then by night, you know, he just rip off and you see his anarcho-capitalist uh, sort of, you know, logo and, and sign there and he changed everything. Uh, and he always thought that was just never gonna happen because he'd be bought and paid for on the way up. And I think in the US, that's probably true. He did make one exception for Ron Paul, like he loved Ron Paul, and Ron Paul has certainly shown that he is like one of the most principled politicians. Uh, quick aside, I remember in like the 90s, there was a story about Ron Paul where Newt Gingrich was trying to whip the votes, and he would like get them all in a room, he'd just like, all right, every one of you but Ron is going to have to vote with us. <laughs> because he knew, he had this nickname, you know, he's a, he was a doctor he had doctor no and he just they knew that they could not convince him to go with the party so it was always interesting but anyway uh ron paul is about the only exception that someone like maria rothbard believed and had he you know would he be alive now i think he would be encouraged and i think it's very interesting what you know the potential with someone like that i mean he's well known by the populace even if the kind of the view now is just that, okay, Argentinians voted for him just in spite of maybe his radical views. It's just they didn't see a better choice. I think that's more of the mainstream way to spin him. I think he's like super smart, very principled. And I, I, mean, I would love to see, you know, Argentina might be that country that kind of has had enough political baggage as many other countries and been steered the wrong way for too long maybe he could actually make some amazing like principled uh, market-based reforms so i guess that's my view yeah um well it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um I, i'm with you cautiously optimistic i'm also glad it's not like incubating where i live at the same time mm. right um but yeah uh what you know the hasn't worked like what they were trying it wasn't working so yeah uh, as is evidenced by this chart so yeah it's, it's an interesting one to keep track of and i think very very interesting that you can basically back into that without going to any other market source like just look at the bitcoin price on binance in pesos the dimensional analysis not the analysis you mentioned with the calculator <laughs> and check so yeah exactly so we'll see See how it goes for them. Wish them luck. Um, yeah, we, we don't have to do charts all day with this one, with this uh, episode. So 
I don't know what oh, else. Interesting, yeah, what else is on your radar? Yeah, so one of the things I, I don't think I showed this much, um, although it's not a secret. Uh, Halo decided to split out our private sector privacy uh, OSINT facing practice, uh, and so that'll be official on January one. But we we started the process on October one, so it's it's mostly done now. Um, but in part, that's to really focus in on what we can do uh, in privacy in the private sector. And it's unfortunate the options are diminished. Um, so one of the challenges we're seeing is in the U.S., um, which you know has traditionally been one of the easiest places to accrue some kind of privacy um, moat around you because we just have a legal structure that still preserves privacy in some ways. But uh, there's a, a new law that's going into place where every single company, LLC, S-Corp, C-Corp, uh, the beneficial owner has to be declared to the government. And that's not the case right now on a state-by-state -state basis. Mm. And so many other countries have this. And in Europe, I think this is basically the rule in everywhere, as far as I'm aware. Um, and so it means that there's no more Wyoming or Delaware or Nevada or uh, New Mexico companies that they, where you can use a nominee director or your attorney uh, or hide as like a grantor or a benefactor. There's lots of different ways to hide your ownership interest. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's hide's not the right word, right? This is just protecting the privacy of someone behind a, a corporation. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of it's generational. Some of it actually is privacy. Some of it is corporate veil. Um, there's, it's not all just like, you know, hiding your assets. Um, but they're, they're doing away with that. And it's a money grab, right? They want to know you know, where the money is and if there's more to tax. Uh, that's the gist of it. And it's an anti-money laundering effort. You know, that's always like a, a cloak that you can wear yeah. and, um, and be a white knight when there's ulterior motives. But the challenge there is, right, so there's lots of people, including, you know, myself and our clients, who use that to buy assets, typically residential properties, and then protect themselves from being in a, you know, county property registry. Uh, where anyone can find out who lives somewhere. Um, and I think it's a problem to be able to just look up where anyone lives. I, I really do. I don't think that's necessary. Um, and it it's counter to what I believe are sort of the principles of property rights, where you can show ownership and provenance and uh, title, and you can demonstrate as the property owner that, but you're, it's not something that you have to register publicly. It's just that you can prove it if you need to. Uh, and I know you've talked about property rights on this pod in the past. Uh, and strong property rights are really important. But I don't think the strength comes from public disclosure. I don't think that's necessary for strong property rights. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's a big challenge. And I'm not really sure what the answer is. Uh, and just as an anecdote, so I'm on the road this week. Um, you know, not in my usual place. And I walked into a big sky, you know, glass office building to go into the coffee shop uh, this morning. And when you walk in, there's one of these kiosks like you see in a mall. And it's to, just to help you find, you know, the retail shops and the various uh, office towers and everything. And you can go in just like you would and, you know, look up like, do they have a Starbucks here? But the other thing you can do is you can look up any employee that works in that building. 
and you can see where they work and what floor they work on. Uh, and then there's a, a ring that so you can call like to the front desk, right? And so, and this is, I'm sure that, you know, a thousand people work in this building, it's massive. Um, and so this thing where you just have to, you know, be able to look anyone up or find where they are, um, via social media or registries or county property records or whatever. I don't see a lot of upside to it. I really don't. Um, and so that's a, that's a trend that, you know, I still believe in fighting against, but I, I'm not wildly optimistic globally or even domestically, um, about the opportunities to do so. And it's getting more and more where, you know, the, the, the tools of the trade of privacy and the tools of the trade of, you know, criminality sometimes overlap. Uh, the, the motives don't, but the, the tools sometimes overlap. And what we're doing is we're just pushing privacy into the smallest, darkest corner of available options. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's good. Yeah. That's a depressing thing to think about. And I've always thought here in Europe as well, uh, they've, long since sacrificed that. Although ironically, they tried to bring that back in a painful way with some of the GDPR stuff. But if you really want to know, and if you're the government who's believes it's their inherent right to demand uh, that they know a shareholder or whoever's involved with this company, yeah, in Europe, there doesn't seem to be much leniency there, as you mentioned. we could go in lots of directions with this, but firstly, do you see, is there like any lobby that's pushing back against this type of thing? Or as you mentioned, it just doesn't look very op- optimistic. Yeah. So I don't know who the like lobby would be for that. I, I know some privacy, you know, wills trust in the States types of lawyers who are very much anti this as well. Um, and, because they execute these types of privacy plans um, and, or sometimes privacy is a byproduct of just kind of good generational planning or good estate planning. Mm. Um, but um, I don't know. It's going to be a tough fight. And this law is going in. This law was already, it's just going into effect. I don't think there's any way around it. Um, so, so everybody has to eventually show the beneficial owners. That's for sure happening. Yeah, that that's going. I think it's January one. It's very soon um, that that will be in place. I don't know what the impact to legacy entities will be. Uh, so maybe there's some grandfathering. I don't know if you have to register at some point. Um, and one of the attorneys that we work with said that you know maybe there's some some options here, but he still wasn't sure. Because like with any law, it's, you know, opaque and super long. Um, and probably the people that passed it didn't read it. That's part of the course. Have you heard any talk about public-private key cryptography? I mean, we've talked about this before, I think, in tangential topics. But that is at least a way to control some of the privacy if, you know, those who must know can request your public key. And that's it. To verify that it's actually you. If you need to, of course, you, you lose the benefits, like you said, of uh, shielding or whatever reasons, as you mentioned before. But at least other prying eyes besides the government might not be able to get access. So this is this really surprised me and it's probably going to surprise everyone. But there's actually a zero trust initiative within 
the Biden White House. Um, and I know some of the people that have been advising on it. And when I first heard about it, I was like, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's great. I love it. It just really surprised me. Uh, and it is for things, I haven't heard it, that it's specifically addressing this kind of uh, property uh, ownership or property rights subject, but it was involving the IRS uh, and the ability to you know validate things without um, without having to actually disclose you know full documentation. Um, where that goes, or you know if it survives the current administration, or, or even you know gets a lot of support from the current administration, I don't know. But it, there's enough support that it is a executive. Um, you know, working group or something, I forget what they called it. Mm. That that right there was promising to me, that the, that someone in the U.S. government, even on the blue side, right, was you know, putting any time into zero trust initiative. Yeah. So, um, and there were some good people involved in it from our community. Uh, so, maybe, but it's going to take a while. And I think it's kind of a heady thing. Um, you know, you, like, we say zero trust and everyone understands it, but yeah, I don't know how many. I just keep thinking of Elizabeth Warren. Right? Like, uh, we, we we gave her too much time last week. We gave her too much time. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, silver linings potentially. Yeah. Um. All right. And Haven X, what? Uh, remind us again. What's the? What's the right, story there? You. Um, yeah. So we splinted out. Uh, the, the intention is to really take all of those services, uh, house them under, you know, one entity that's full arm's length from Halo, uh, and to pursue a full part, private private sector strategy. Uh, and so the emphasis will remain on, you know, intelligence products, open source intelligence, right? Um, due diligence investigations. That's one large verge, uh, one large vertical, and that has historical clients and market fit. And then the other side of it is reputation management and brand and communities. And so that's, that is newer in the last like three years. And this brand and communities stuff, which we're calling radio face uh, is in the last, we did R and D on that for about a year and a half. And the idea there is brand and communities and narrative are a form of social proof now that is almost required. Uh, I would actually say it is required. And so the example that I would give, and this is particularly true, I hate to say this, their generation is younger than yours and mine. Um, and when they shop, right, a lot of that shopping is based on social media influence and ads and the social proof of that brand having an ethos and a following and the engagement and the narrative around it that they find attractive. Uh, mm. And so there is a gap like you've got the Nikes, right? And like the brands that have, you know, longstanding traditional ethos and they're really good at messaging and brand and huge marketing budgets. And, and that's cool, right? They can throw a hundred million dollars at their brand. But then there's a much bigger swath of companies or individuals that might be, have great products or are really good at their trade or whatever, but they haven't been able to figure out how to bridge the gap into social proof. And sometimes that happens organically, right? And that's amazing, but that's very hard to predict if you can't really build a business strategy around it. And so what we would say is if you have a brand, right, or you're, you're have an incumbent product or you just want that social proof to be wrapped around, you know, whatever your, um, whatever your market is that you're trying to enter, then there's ways to cultivate that. 
uh, and it's through outreach and engagement. And it's it's not like um, it's not a dark art. It's just playing the the trade of of community building uh, in the digital world. And so we've proven that there are ways that are repeatable that you can do that. Uh, and so we are doing that very effectively now. Um, and it's really cool to see some of these brands come to life. Um, and, you know, I'll just give one, what I think very interesting example without, you know, naming the client, but uh, client is uh, two doctors uh, and they're at the top of their trade in the medical world. But, you know, they're performing surgery very regularly. They're doctors, not social media people. And they have a company that has a product in their space. Uh, and it's a cool, like, product that is for the consumer, right? It's not like you don't sell it in doctor's offices, you sell it to consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, and they actually built a cool brand around it, but they have a really hard time having a conversation about it. So if you go to their Instagram or to uh, really any of their socials, you find uh, cool content, no following, no engagement, um, no views, right? Not, not a lot going on there. Mm -hmm. And it makes it feel, and I, I felt this myself when I saw it, that uh, you know, am I the first person buying this? Right. Um, and mm. we're trying to bridge that gap, uh, to show that like there, the Delta between actual sales and community engagement is, uh, you know, we can bridge that. We can make that more to parity. Is there just to connect the dots for some of our listeners that might be interested? I mean, is there an aspect of your traditional privacy sector, uh, offerings as a company there that's connected to this or is this kind of like a separate thing for social and marketing and stuff so it's an offshoot from the reputation work that we've done uh and so if you're you know if people are putting out false information about you derogatory information you know trying to slander you in the public domain uh which happens all the time some of it's adversarial sometimes it's true right like and um it's newsworthy but Sometimes it's, you know, kind of corporate fighting. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of different versions of it. Um, and so to, to balance out the malign information, you have to create a community and, and really it's almost like a brand and a conversation with the true information or, you know, at least one, the other side, right? Presenting the other side of the story. And so if you can do that with a narrative or you can do that with a subject matter, uh, our supposition was you could also do it with a brand uh, if you can get people to see both sides or or entertain multiple views, then we thought by extension, maybe you can get people to um, click or download or buy merch or tickets or you know whatever that economic end state is. Um, and so we weren't sure, and that's why we did the r and d. Uh, and we had you know eighteen months of successive data pointing up and to the right uh, on all our metrics. And so based on that, we decided to ratify it as a product. Wow. It's been cool. Um, but yeah, it's probably the most like benign, vanilla, corporate normal of our products. Uh, but it's underpinned by kind of the, the quasi-dark arts ethos of what we've always done. Yeah, fascinating stuff. So always reach out to Alec if you have any interest uh, in something like that. Do you guys do work for uh, individuals as well or is it just uh, corporate entities? Yeah. So we have some that are like, we have this really cool young lady who is a super talented musician and goes to, uh, on tour with, you know, larger acts and really trying to make it. But, um, she's a musician and doesn't really have 
a lot of interest in running an Instagram, but she's not big enough to have a talent agent. Um, and she's not big enough to have a tour manager and, and to have like a social media manager and to wrap some of those things. So she, the talent is there, but the, the reach isn't. And so that's another example of like create a community around it, um, amplify the good content, uh, create engagement uh, to try to get her to that point when, you know, one of the big boys or big gals will step in and bring her to the next level. Nice. And going back to your comment about the doctors, you know, who does not need this help apparently is chiropractors putting their videos of cracking people's backs. You ever watch that? I haven't. Why are you doing that? I just on my feed somehow <laughs> subconsciously. I don't know. Sure it is. <laughs> millions, dude, tens of millions of views of people just getting their back cracked. I don't get it. Uh, is it something like where people have some perverse joy out of hearing the cracking? Maybe. I think it's just one of these things. It's, uh, it's like a, what is it called? ASMR? Something like you, you hear sounds yeah, that are yeah, weird yeah. and you think it's funny. It's like something like that. But uh, yeah. maybe it was like during COVID. Or so. I feel like it was during COVID. I was probably just bored and somehow that came up. I promise you I wasn't searching for it. It doesn't matter anyway. But uh, sure. yeah. I, I have just noticed like there's so many of these and then it starts feeding, feeding it back. There's like chiropractors all over YouTube. They, you can even see the mic that like put on people's, you know, shirts and stuff and just going to town, going to town. Yeah. So they, I don't know if I want to hear that. Well, they seem to be doing a good job, uh, with their yeah. messaging. Maybe, maybe you look into that. Yeah. So, um, uh, I know we're doing a shorter show, but before we, uh, pivot one other topic that would be interesting is so I'm just curious what what we see now that is the potential um, what are the charlatans going to harness this time mm. <laughs> this is my, my area of curiosity I'd like to talk about it now because it's so annoying I know we, we've talked about it offline all the time uh, ICOs and NFTs and whatever it is, right? Like colored coins and um, just it, it's going to loop in a bunch of people. And uh, the reason I bring it up is because last night I was, you know, with some folks and uh, the gentleman I was sitting next to at dinner, the topic of Bitcoin came up. He's like, oh, what do you think about all that? And he's a successful business owner, very, very nice guy. And he had, you know, his kids had told him to get into NFTs and he did and lost a bunch of money and was just totally disgruntled with the whole space, right? And he's an otherwise like very privacy loving, like perfect for the community if he had maybe had come in a different way and had a different experience with it. But now he's like entirely dismissive of the space and maybe rightfully so based on his experience. Um, and that cycle will repeat this time too. Uh, and I don't know if you have an opinion on like, What's what's the scam of the next two years? Uh, I don't. But you know, depending on <laughs> depending on which uh, Bitcoiner you talk to, I mean, they would basically, well, the most hardcore of them will say all of them. You know, anything but Bitcoin, and then it just goes from there, as it always had. Is it just Bitcoin? And it you know, or is it Bitcoin plus Ethereum, or is it Bitcoin plus Ethereum and Zcash, and then it goes goes from there as far as the gradients, I guess, of, the, uh, of at least how Bitcoiners view charlatans versus non-charlatans. But um, I, I think 
the ETF will certainly drive a lot of this uh, speculation. It might not necessarily drive a lot of the um, you know, true adopters that care about this stuff and the ethos and everything. And the only people that will drive the good stuff for sure, and hopefully it's on, you know, on Bitcoin is, uh, I think at this point, it's just people that are like a few generations below us because, and I was mentioning this on a pod recently as well, like other than Michael Saylor, I don't know, can you think of, I mean, I guess we can always be surprised, but I can't think of any other like boomer that's just going to go ahead and take their entire corporate treasury and put it into to Bitcoin. Uh, again, this is more of a, that's a, that's an investment decision, a speculative decision, as opposed to sort of maybe what you're getting at, which is actual, you know, utility from the space and people not just getting scammed. Uh, but, and I don't want to get into the regulation discussion we usually get into, but yeah, I, I, I'm not so excited about sort of the just vanilla to use your word, just sort of vanilla things that Bitcoin might be getting into. I mean, this, what we talked about last week, plus 50% of miners that are KYC, their pools, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren's nightmare package, which hopefully doesn't even get close to traction. Uh, and, you know, go down the list. I, I imagine we will be surprised pleasantly by some things, but we'll probably see the same old, and I don't really know how to dip it in, but uh, we've seen it again and again. I mean, you know, Solano was like three bucks a year ago with FTX. And I think you were sending me some funny memes about that. I don't know if it was true or not. Of the, I don't think it was uh, during the SBF case. <laughs> it, it was fake, but it was still. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, how yeah. how uh, Solana was so owned and manipulated and levered by FTX, which all of those things were true to some extent. But um, yeah, there's just like yeah, we could just turn the blockchain off if we wanted. Uh, that was three dollars a year ago in the chaos, and now it's like plus seventy. Uh, it's almost 80. It's Well, it's up a lot because of this phone thing going on right now. Yeah. I mean, um, the Solana phone with the bond coin. Um, I mean, kudos to like whoever's pulling the strings behind Solana because I thought for sure that was dead. You know, with, I mean, I was like Solana and Luna, right? Are the, mm-hmm. the two like graveyard tokens that, that we'll all talk about. Yeah. Um, and so, the, you know, the fact that it's, yeah, that surprised me. But at the end of the day, but, yeah, it's a lot of it just seems to be speculation. Um, I don't know. They do have this hardware device. Maybe that will drive something. Uh, but it always comes down to speculation in this for for a long time. Uh, and the privacy stuff is under attack. So sure. I don't even know where I'm answering the question from this point. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's not looking fantastic for new uses of this utility and stopping people from making bad decisions no i agree i also think kind of a almost like more boring but uh at least as important byproduct of you know the etf and like the kind of easier on-ramping and uh the coinbase is great at bringing customers in and their stock is you know reflecting that but what happens is i i actually think it's important and you know, you and I have probably been in the spot more times than I care to admit, but just testing out having your own wallet, running your own node, being like freaking out because, you know, the coins aren't showing up in the wallet and you're like, is it, you know, 
is it stuck in the mempool? Did I do something wrong? Like just yeah. those experiences of self custody and bearer assets uh, and trial and error. And, you know, I think it's, maybe it's great that a bunch of people can, you know, get exposure to Bitcoin through an ETF in their 401k or whatever. I, I don't know. I actually haven't given it enough thought, but that is not the experience of crypto. And when things go to shit, you don't own it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and you can get the same upside, right? That you can get the same upside as you would in the ETF if you just yeah. have the underlying, right? Um, and maybe, maybe some would view the downside is that the risk of self custody comes with risk of loss, right? And and um, but it comes with this great mind opening and self empowering benefit of being in control of your asset. Um, and to me, that trade off is obvious. Completely agree. And I think the young generation will continue to get that more and more. Uh, I just, yeah, hopefully that younger generation will turn into our political class and maybe we will get there kind of like the zero trust, uh, you know, uh, initiatives you mentioned earlier, but, um, I remember this funny quote from a trading chat I was in like years ago. And this was like during the bear of 2018. And this guy's like, we are nowhere near to taking grandma's money yet. <laughs> to, or, you know, grandma losing her money yet, but losing her savings. Yeah. That's true. Uh, it, it certainly happens in certain pockets and certain people and certain families or something. None of which I'm, I think is a good thing. Uh, you know, some of it may just be the natural hype cycle of things like this, you know, it just happens. And so some of it's hard to avoid. But yeah, as far as the total paradigm shift, like why I started this show for sure, um, it seems clear to us, but it's going to take a long time. And actually, maybe we can close it on this one. I'm curious about your thoughts. It's more on the security side. I think it was a point of security. Marty told me one of the guests that he had had on recently was maybe a boomer type, but he was prepared to and kind of fine with it. I think for security reasons, not just fear of loss, but he was prepared to move his coins from a multi-sig that he had set up into the ETF just because he'd get the exposure and if anything happened, he could call his broker. That's, that's, a, that's an Elizabeth Warren type of mentality. I'm, I'm not throwing that guy under the bus, but I'm saying that mentality is not the mentality that we certainly want to encourage. Yeah, um, and I get it. I get it too. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to be clear. I get this person. I mean, this person's a Bitcoiner. I understand. I get it. I, I really get it. Well, and like, I don't keep stock certificates in a safe in my office, mm. right? Um, mm. So, you know, I'm doing the same thing. And careful, like, careful what you say. Way. By the way, <laughs> well, I this don't. Is, no, but this is the other thing with security about you know yeah. where do you keep yeah. it? Is safe in your office? But uh, yeah, um, yeah, uh, no, it's. Yeah, I do get that, and I don't know. I don't know what the answer there is, um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot easier to keep your exposure via an ETF for sure. Um, and maybe the the inverse will also be true. So we'll have some people come in, get exposure to the ETF, get excited because you know number go up, and then they're like, Wait, "What is this really?" Right? Yeah. And um, and have their reverse path. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's just too optimistic. And I do personally think that the multi-sig thing will get even easier. And, you know, you always have to be careful here, but, um, you know, I, 
let's say I'm personally not posed and I think it might not be even a bad thing if, if you had to have like at the if we're talking pure security like it might not be a bad thing where uh, let's just say at the point of a gun or something if you had to send funds you would have to go to a safe deposit box or something where like you would have to uh, physically have some other or a lawyer or some other uh, individual that's facing the world that could understand if there's duress this is just purely speaking from security it might not be a bad thing I mean the Winklevi have as much as publicized that uh, and they even did that without multisig they just did a shamir around banks across the US and um, but isn't there a time delayed uh, uh, transaction signing um, script in yeah, in yeah I believe that uh, came with, with Taproot. I believe. I'm not sure yeah. of all the, the details on it, but um, that's also very, very uh, important. But how those vaults are set up, I'm not clear on all the details yet. Yeah, no, I was talking to someone who was you know, writing some, uh, sort of some scripting on that, and that sounded like a good idea. Mm. This was a couple of years ago, so maybe that was part of Taproot. I feel like I should know that. Um, but yeah, and you can like distribute shards, and uh, I do think that, that um, personal wallet security and, and distributed uh, transaction signing uh, mechanisms will the barrier to entry will be lower on those. Yeah, at some point. PSBT is uh, becoming so, more and more common. Uh, yeah, I, I'm optimistic on that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Don't just don't carry your your coins on your cell phone. Indeed. <laughs> Um, that start there, right? Yeah, that's a good start. And um, it's it, frankly, what it does is it, it encourages the old time, long, uh, low time preference, long term saving, which is what you know our parents and grandparents learned how to live anyway. And uh, you get the benefit of having a natural inflation hedge. And, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with having a place where you can sweep coins and earnings or whatever into a stash. Uh, that's... Yeah, inflation's over though. So yeah, right. I don't know what you're talking right. about. <laughs> it's a topic. We're good. Now. Topic for another time, my friend. Yeah, we'll tease the next. Take time. Take a look at the Argentinian <laughs> chart, at least. <laughs> yeah, uh, we should go down there. I really want to go. There. I would love it, man. I would love it. Uh, I think they had a little bit conf there actually this year, uh, this past end of November. Uh, usually it's in November, December, yeah, but awesome. uh, nice in any event, great we should food. Do it. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually long been on my list, um, you know, along with many other places, but I'd love to go. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Uh, and yeah, in the meantime, good luck with all the Halo stuff. Sounds very exciting what you guys are doing. And Thanks, yeah, I guess until the next one, good luck on your travels. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Bye. Bye.